0: we will get going here. Okay, so uh, thanks again everyone for joining us um, for the first Pete Collaborative of the 2022-2023 school year. My name is Jamie McMillan and on behalf of the PEAT Collaborative organizing group, we're excited to have you all here and um, for this important discussion. Um, we're going to today discuss um, potential redesigns of PEAT courses to meet the needs of both K-12 students as well as pre-service teachers. Topics of redesign will include meaningful physical education, embedding informal formal games and sports, as well as outdoor education. Um, we chose this topic specifically um, because many of us have felt a tension between um, what we're teaching in people programs and what's actually happening in K-12 schools. And particularly, I know for me personally, I've tended to go away from teaching um, the traditional sports and rules and court lines and things like that, and have heard from cooperating teachers along the way, hey, your students don't know the volleyball court lines, and your students don't know the rules and things, and so I think that there's a tension that exists with, um, with some of these issues, and so I'm excited to kind of flash some of this out today um, through some of our panelists, but then also hearing from uh, you all in the community, so uh, with that, I'm going to pass it over to uh, Risto to kick us off.
1: Hey everybody, um, really excited to see the numbers today. Um, And again, as Jamie kind of talked about, um, we hope that you'll use the chat function as well to uh, ask questions so you can add comments in there. Um, If you don't wanna talk out loud, um, you can post questions to the uh, people who are gonna be talking or uh, whoever speaks up. Um, But as kind of Jamie alluded to, in the current system that we all teach in, at universities, we can't necessarily add classes. If somebody says we need to add a class on this, we have to cut something. We have to redesign. We have to restructure programs uh, to have them fit, like for us at Mason, the 120 credit cap. So it's very limiting in what we can do. So as long as you are building or adding something, you have to cut something. And um, so it's not always as easy as it sounds, uh, and you all know this, um, but today, we're going to talk about different topics. Um, there's been a movement towards meaningful physical education in some universities. Um, we're really happy to have Tim Fletcher, Stephanie Benny, and uh, Declan Hamblin join us to share about what they've done. Um, there's also been a move toward more informal, informal sports in uh, places like Australia and the UK, And we know that U.S. adult population doesn't necessarily meet the physical activity requirements, Um, but when they are physically active, they rarely participate in activities that we are teaching in traditional secondary PE. Um, So Justin O'Connor is a person who's done a lot of work on this in Australia. Um, We would have loved to have him on here, but it's um, in the middle of the night in Australia. Um, And the one thing that I found interesting, and when I reached out to Justin about uh, some suggestions, is there isn't really a strong research community around informal sport in the US, um, but we face similar issues as they do in Australia. So it's something to consider um, expanding on. And once I'm done talking here, I'll drop in some articles by Justin, uh, the main one being a good one uh, about rethinking the classification system of sports. So traditionally net and target games, field and invasion games, so on. Um, And I'll also drop in an article by Mark uh, Zmoody, who I linked onto the invite on Tuesday. It talks about um, outdoor uh, and adventure-based education. But uh, we are ready to move. uh, And I want to welcome Ingrid Johnson from Grand Valley State. right here in Michigan. That's how you show the Michigan State, Michiganders. Uh, And she's gonna share about her her, uh, program and the way that they've actually integrated outdoor ed and non-traditional sports and games. So um, Ingrid will speak first and then uh, people, if you wanna chime in and comment and we'll go from there. Thanks. Thanks,
2: Risto. Um, I'm super excited to be here. I think it's a great topic, and um, as I know, a lot of you uh, are following other programs and and watching things on Twitter and social media. There is definitely um, kind of a shift and a disconnect um, that Jamie brought up at the beginning. So I'm I'm interested to hear the rest of the talk today. But um, so I do uh, live in Michigan and teach at Grand Valley State University. It's very near Lake Michigan. And um, my institution is a midsize. We have about 25,000 students, liberal arts institution. Um, and when I came to Grand Valley, so this is my 14th year. So when I first came here, we we had a very similar curriculum that had been put into place in the 80s and 90s, very sports heavy, team sports, invasion game. Um, emphasis. And um, that wasn't my strong suit. Like that's not how I came into this field. I was an individual dual sport person, um, much more interested in, in some of the other kinds of activities. And so, um, you know, over the years I started tweaking and changing classes, but we were still kind of locked into this old system that was very sport driven. Um, And uh, about Three and a half, four years ago, the state of Michigan um, told all of the higher ed institutions that we could no longer have standalone physical education majors or standalone health majors. They needed to be combined. Um, They just decided this because they said superintendents out in the rural school districts couldn't get teachers. And so they felt if they were trained in both health and P.E., that would be a better fit. The funny part about that is that all of our majors were health ed minors anyway, so, but whatever. So we had to change our entire program anyway. So it was kind of a a perfect opportunity for us to really re-envision. And so we looked at Shape America. We looked at best practices. We talked to students about what they thought was missing. What would they like to, to engage with more? What was too much? Um, and and then in the end, we kind of decided that we needed to offer other things besides just sport to students in our program. There was an interest in it. And there was um, where we live in this community in, in West Michigan. Um, it's a big outdoors nature kind of area. So I had always wanted to have an outdoor uh, pursuits or outdoor ed class, um, and so now I finally got the opportunity. So we created um, this outdoor uh, education class that I teach in the winter time here, which is people often get a little bit scared because we go outside in the winter, um, even when it's cold. But I think I think what has been helpful with this class is that I do expose them to things like adventure education, um, you know. Of all the classes, of all the methods classes that I teach, this outdoor ed class uh, is the least teachy of all of them. So I'm not worried about lesson planning in this class and some of these other kinds of things. And what I really try to do for that whole semester is expose them to being out in the outdoors, using uh, outdoor ed theory, adventure ed theory, and um, getting some experience that way for themselves. And then doing different activities about how we can engage our students. So we talk a lot about teaching and we do a variety of things, but it's kind of an exposure class. And so this is only this, I've only taught this class two times now. um, And each time, right, I'm I'm making little adjustments to it. But what I have found is that the students are, are, they're more engaged because now they have a, a a different picture of what they think being a physical education teacher is before they came into it many of them thinking that they just wanted to teach like the big sports soccer basketball football sometimes lacrosse rugby right things like that and and now because of the way we structured our program um and one of these classes being this outdoor ed they have a whole new sort of way of thinking about skills and and being outdoors um and we still do offer they still do take an invasion games class we have a net wall target class we created an early childhood class um, because we're a pk-12 certification in michigan so now we have an, an entire class that we work with the daycare that's on campus and and emphasize that so like we really feel like our students are are getting a a broader picture, um, but still focusing on those important skills of of helping uh, students become skilled movers um, as well. Um, I have a pretty heavy emphasis on global activities. So I think Jamie said that she didn't do, you know, things like teaching the volleyball court and you know stuff like that, and I haven't typically done that stuff either because you can access that stuff in a book. You can find out what the measurements are for the court, right? Um, but I have had a big emphasis probably the last six, seven years on different global games and activities, um, and I've even had some interest in students to talk about how to do um, a lot of some some games from the Arctic and things like that in the outdoor ed class. Um, Thoughts, questions, any other specific things that you, you're looking at?
1: So feel free to um, use the uh, hand raise feature if you want to chime in and ask a question or um, explain what's happening in your university, how you're um, implementing outdoor or adventure based um, learning. We'd, we'd love to hear that.
2: One thing I can add is that I did have to teach myself and get some training on a lot of different things. Like I'm not an expert fisher woman, right? But this past summer, I did do the training modules to become a certified instructor for um, National Fishing in the Schools program um, and then was able to use a grant to purchase a whole bunch of fly fishing training um, equipment as something, another piece to add into to that. And again, that's something that you know I didn't have a ton of experience with, but I think
0: it's something that's important, especially with the population that I'm working with. Yeah, the, the question I was going to ask as other people are forming their questions and kind of responses was really this idea about upskilling, because I think each of us um, maybe has one or two potential activities that we um, outdoor activities that we feel competent in. And so I know that you have done a lot of work kind of on your own, and Mm -hmm. and I guess, like, has the university helped um, fund that and pay for those things? And, you know, course fees associated with that, I'm assuming, are pretty um, substantial. And so, any kind of insight you can provide there would be great, Ingrid.
2: Yeah, those are some great questions. So, um, this coming winter will be the first time that we're going to have a course fee. And it's only going to be $25, which I know can be a lot, but I don't use a text in the course. And so they don't have to buy an expensive book. But prior to adding that course fee in, um, we were using our budget money and I was writing a lot of grants um, to get like the fishing line, the ropes to practice knot tying, um, to pay the fees to go to... um, Uh, the climbing center on campus Um, and so you know I think because of the work that I've been doing and getting grants my students have been able to do a lot of things but it does I'm hoping that with this $25 fee I don't have to spend all of my time trying to find money to do these things right and then it can kind of build in as a part of the course I would love to get bikes but I don't have anywhere to store them and the university won't help with that so
1: um, let's go Kason, and then uh, we'll go to Hans after that.
3: Hello, thank you so much, Ingrid. This is Kaysen O'Neill from East Tennessee. I'm actually in the middle of the Rocky Mountains, so it's beautiful. And I face a similar issue, and I'm doing outdoor ed as well, not as well as you are. But my students always, how do you overcome when they say, well, what's realistic when I get to the schools And I have a $200 budget. And and I, that discussion is, I'm still growing as an educator, how to answer that, and what do you Mm -hmm. say to them?
2: Yeah, my students ask me the same thing um, as well, and I, I, a part of the course that I've built into it is helping them learn about these organizations where they can get funding. Um, The DNR has a lot of different funding um, that you can get, this national fishing in the schools, and so I talk to them about you know, they're going to have to be proactive uh, if they live in a big um, an outdoorsy community, check with the, the parents or local businesses, um, grant writing for PTA, PTO kinds of things. Um, there is that specialized bike grant where you can get a whole set of bikes um, as well.
1: Thanks, Ingrid. Um, Hans, you should have a little button there that says unmute. There you go.
4: I did. Uh, thank, thanks for having me, folks. Um, a, a quick question for Ingrid. Ingrid, how many, a couple of questions actually. Uh, how many credits is the outdoor course?
2: It's a three credit.
4: Okay. So, and and of, of the entire time that you allocate to the topic of, of outdoor education. How, how much time is spent on learning to do the activities versus learning to teach it, or is there a separate course in which they are taught how to teach it?
5: Um, the,
4: the reason I ask is because you you mentioned that it wasn't a very teachy course, uh, which I think you uh defined or or explained this, but we, we don't do lesson planning and such. And, and so, tell me, tell me where do they learn to teach those activities?
2: So, I would. I would say that it's probably 60% doing stuff um, and the rest teaching. But in our program, students um, get a lot of of other practical teaching stuff in their other courses. And they also have a specific elementary methods and a secondary methods. And they all kind of feed together. What What I do though in this outdoor pursuits class is that I, let's just as an example, um, I have them them use the Goose Chase app. If you know what Goose Chase is, it's like a scavenger hunt kind of thing. Um, I've been and chasing so,
4: goose all my life. So. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm talking. Totally I know, kidding.
2: and and so I have I I I show them this. We kind of learn about it, but then I have them set it up, and they kind of teach the rest of us as we're mm-hmm. doing these different things. So I'm trying to kind of mesh it. Um, but it is more heavy on the, the doing.
4: And, and are there, this will be my last question, I'll, I'll shut up um, after that, but is, is, is there, are there middle schools, high school programs where outdoor education is the main theme of the program, so to speak, where, where you place all of your students for inter, in, uh, internships and student teaching?
2: Right, we do have a lot of them in Western mm-hmm. Michigan, and um, we do try to place our students when we can at these at these schools.
4: Okay, thank you.
0: Mm-hmm. Good to see you.
4: There's a couple of,
0: oh, sorry, go ahead, Resto. Um.
1: So my my big question is, how do you deal with the time? Like, obviously, if you're going to a river or to a lake to do any of the stuff, there's some sort of transfer from campus to back. Right. Um, and I know that in different universities, it's done in different ways. So there might be like a Saturday lab and we meet every three weeks and it's for eight hours or something like that. Are you, are you meeting every single week or how do you, how do you work on getting to nature? If you're in a little bit more of an urban yeah. or suburban area,
2: we live in nature here in West Michigan. So if you, if you Google my campus, you will see, we have rivers and forests and and all of that. So I don't have to leave campus for this kind of stuff, which I know is fortunate, but I did schedule the class purposely for one day a week for a three hour block. Um, and, and I did that purposely so we can spend a lot of time doing stuff or what I hope to do eventually is I do hope to take them on some field trips to like go to a DNR site um, to do some of these other things. But right now I've been really lucky to be able to utilize our campus um, to do that stuff. But that is definitely something. And I would recommend having a long block of time for a class like that. Um, Just because if you are uh, dealing with equipment, you know, like when I get all the fishing stuff out or we go to the climbing center, like that just takes a lot of time And I want them to be hands-on learning
0: how to do these things. One thing, um, and this probably is hit or miss depending on your university structure, but I know a university that I was at previously, and I'm not going to name them just in case anyone listens to the uh, podcast. Um, We were not allowed to use things from the rec uh, department for classes, And so um, a former PhD student of mine wanted to incorporate a bike unit into a lifetime activities course um, that we taught. And so what uh, he did was have students put in requests to reserve bikes through the rec department for a certain two week period um, during the semester, but not say that it was for uh, class purposes. And so, um, you know, say what you will about that, but um, you know, it worked out really nicely for the students that didn't have bicycles of their own um, uh, in the P program to be able to um access uh, bikes in that way. So there are potential kind of workarounds and yeah. there Kate and Kelsey put in some things in the um in the chat. To do with like local high schools and partnering with high schools that may have more space for storage or mm-hmm. different things. And Kelsey mentioned um, bikes from, donated from police departments, and I know that that's actually a real thing. Places where uh, police departments have auctions of you know mm-hmm. bicycles and things that are you know abandoned. And so I think there's some some resources for equipment um, as well that are there. Um, Becky, you had your hand up. Was that on purpose? I'll uh, unmute you if you wanted to share something. Oh,
6: sorry. Uh, it was on purpose, but I didn't. I wanted to make sure people have questions. I was just going to share a little bit. Um, we, of course, have a number of one credit activity courses that mm-hmm. include both, you know, individual dual activities. We also have lifetime activities, uh, aquatics, other things. But we we do have a three credit Um, which is an outdoor ed class for physical education uh, teachers. And they go through a series during the semester of like, of courses, you know, of content. And then over summer, typically they are then up at Racket Lake, which is a wonderful resource that we have. And so all of our majors have to go to Racket Lake for two weeks. Um, And there, they're learning more skills. But I do appreciate Han's point is that it's more about learning those skills. Although we're also teaching them, you know, leave no trace concepts and and other things related to that, but they're not necessarily learning how to do that as an educator, um, how to teach that content in the same way we, we try to give them lots of different experiences and then in those method classes really get at how to plan for and do different uh, types of content. Um, but, But I would say the other struggle, and this is what even before we got started, I was thinking part of the struggle for us is that we're trying to shift, right, I guess, physical education, but we're trying to undo what our students have experienced their entire physical education um, life in schools, which is usually primarily just learning sports. Mm -hmm. Um, And we try to get away from that. We try to really focus on standards, but then they get placed back out into schools where uh, they don't, you know, they don't recognize the standards and, and really think about diversifying the content. Um, and so I'm not sure how we, how we as PEAT programs, you know, that's been a long, that's been decades and decades of the challenge, right? Of trying to teach our students, uh, quality physical education and teach them different activities. Um, also trying to teach not from a ableist perspective. So if you are going to teach volleyball, why can't you also teach sit volleyball? You know, so I, I just think we face a lot of, uh, struggles because it's hard to undo what our students have Mm -hmm. experienced their whole life. We get them for two or maybe four years um and then they go out and they usually are going back into those same environments of what they experienced
1: yeah Uh, thanks for that uh let me let me go to jay um you should see a little unmute button there
3: thanks Krista. appreciate it thanks everybody for um everything that's been said so far really echoes and sounds pretty familiar um, in a lot of different ways I also got to uh, the university that I'm currently at, and it was one of those programs where everyone was taking 22 different one-credit or half-credit courses Mm -hmm. and bundling them together the best that they could. And the first curriculum revision that we did was create teaching of courses. And we did a teaching of net and wall or a teaching outdoor adventure ed, and we tried to marry that with a curricular model so that there would be some kind of emphasis that would go along with it or a particular a thread to connect the activities, the thing that's always really um, been difficult to communicate to our PEAT students is that even based on the content that we can deliver in the limited amount of time that we have, and whether that means that I can expose them to a high ropes course, that means two out of 20 might land in schools that actually have those types of facilities. And I, I feel like it's more important for them to be able to be critical thinkers And to really have, you know, some skills as change agents, and that's not easy to do. I don't think we're doing it perfectly, but giving them skills to go out and cope with the, you know, public schools that they land in, I think teaching all of the fantastic content that can possibly happen in PE, it's impossible to do everything, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Even if you did memorize that a volleyball court, you know, the exact lines and specifications, Someone's going to ask you, you know, for pickleball line measurements and everything else. So, I think it's the underlying stuff that we're struggling with, trying to connect across our program. Um, whether that's curricular models, what content can we present based on what we have.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Jay. And at Mason, we have a similar classification in that we have net and target and field invasion, but our outdoor rec and like adventure-based learning is through the um basically the rec uh department so we used to have a teacher who was a secondary teacher awesome at teaching that content to students and taught that at the secondary schools Uh, but she retired so now it's a rec employee who is teaching that class and our students are kind of looking at it going why are we teaching? Why are we learning all these activities? And it has moved to more doing the activities and they have a high ropes course, which again, could be beneficial if you end up taking a summer job at a camp, like you could help out in that, but most high schools don't have access to that. And so I think it's, it's difficult to find that balance. Um so let me let me go to Hans, and then uh, we'll wrap up Ingrid if you have any final thoughts. And then after that, we'll move over to uh, discussing more about meaningful
4: um, P. Thanks, Risto. Um, I'm wondering if if it's important to keep in mind that um, exposing Peach students to a multitude of curricular orientations. Um, gets us to fall in the same trap as those who advocate for the multi activity exposure curriculum. Um, physical education in school has roughly 45 minutes a week for elementary physical education, one or two credits in high school. There, there's no way that you can expect peach students to graduate and be able to implement a curriculum, um, choose, a, choose multiple curriculum models, and, and make it their own. And, and it seems to me that you're peak programs who will be better off as, as ingrid I think was hinting earlier to really drill down and and go in depth with outdoor education if that if that's the the curricular model if you will of of the program the, the theme then by god go for it i mean if no one ever did sport education i w- I, I wouldn't really care um, and and if somebody says i want to go do a fitness education model go for it but just Teach the hell out of it, do it well, but you need to have the content knowledge and the the pedagogical content knowledge, and be able to help kids learn how to teach those models. Without that, I think we're we're tilting at windmills. And so, anyway, I'll uh, I'll be quiet.
1: Windmills, I like it.
2: Yeah, you know, just kind of a final thing. And as we were redesigning our program, we talked a lot about that, like what model do we use do we need to have a, a million models how do they get experience with it and so something that we have have been trying really hard and i think that it's it's paying off now is that uh we are in we are infusing these things um these different models or these different classifications right and and then we're giving them multiple opportunities throughout the program and their student teaching to to get better at these. Um, And we're lucky in a way that our students, student teach for an entire year. Um, And so we have a little bit extra time than some of the other programs I know. And, you know, I mean, I don't, our way is is working for us. We're always looking to make updates and changes and and do best practices. And, you know, at the end of the day, I want my students, I, I always think to myself, would I be okay with my children they're too old for this now to be in a class with this teacher, would, would I want that? Um, and so that's what I, I keep in my mind as I, I think about our curriculum.
1: Thanks Ingrid. And although I promised to move right away, I will give uh, Phil a couple, couple minutes here to give a final thought or a question.
7: Um, I, I was listening to the problems that we've been talking about now for decades and I don't think we can win. Win meaning we can teach our students very well. If we keep going on the path we're going on. We we can't teach tennis in three weeks or four weeks. We can't teach how to play soccer in that time. But, but recently I've been thinking about um, sort of combining what both Hans and um, Jay just talked about. And And this idea of teaching someone how to teach a racket sport as a general model, how to teach an invasion game as a general model, how to teach individual sport or adventure ed alternative activities, um, orienteering and whatnot as a general model, what would be the principles that would underlie, for example, teaching racket sports? Well, you know, Having having something that can be the implement can be hit easily with the ball soft keeping the ball in play these are general principles that beginners um, that, that teaching beginners and beginners who are doing the teaching could apply to multiple sports and I'm I'm thinking and what we've been trying to do at Ohio State is teach fewer much less content than probably all of you are teaching but to try to do it in such a way that if we teach soccer, we can try to look at applications to lacrosse and field hockey, or to other inv- uh, field-based invasion sports and basketball to team handball and so on. That, that's my, my only observation. I just don't think we can win um, with decreasing credit hours that Risto talked about at the start and and that Hans and Jay talked about. Uh, we need to have think um, uh, teachers who can think and apply and adapt, most of all, to different content, because we all can't cover it all in, in universities.
1: Yeah. And perhaps with that less, uh, more time and less sports, you can make things more meaningful for students. And that's my transition to uh, welcoming uh, Stephanie Benny, Tim Fletcher, and Declan Hamblin, who are going to talk a little bit about what they've done in meaningful physical education um, I had the pleasure of hosting a book club with um, a bunch of uh, professors and uh, teachers and um, a couple of the authors of that, of that book, and I learned a lot that has really changed the way I, I talk in my class about what my focus is in, my, um, in the peak classes that I teach. So um, we're happy to uh, welcome you all here. Um, so maybe Tim and Stephanie, you can uh, start off and then Declan, you can uh, jump in when,
4: um, when necessary.
8: Thanks, Risto. Um, hi, everyone. Steph, are you okay? If I just, I'll start off and then throw to you if that's okay. Um, and uh, the reason uh, I suggested that is because uh, Stephanie was... Um, was a pre-service teacher um, in one of the courses that I taught where we start first started experimenting with the ideas of, uh, of meaningful PE. So um, she's able to speak about her experiences of applying some of the things that we were doing. But thanks very much for inviting me. It's uh, really great to see such a huge uh, audience and interest in this PEAK collaborative. It's my first time joining. So uh, thanks very much for having me and thanks for uh, starting this initiative. Um, so, We've been working with this idea of meaningful PE most recently with um, teachers in schools, but it started um, with Deirdre Necronin and I, um, just the two of us collaborating and saying, what are some of the problems that we're facing as teacher educators? uh, And what's an inquiry that we might focus on as uh, a collaborative self-study? And Deirdre had uh, landed on um, a response to the paper by uh, Blankenship and Ayers called "Joy-Oriented Pete," which was in Quest in 2010, I think, um, and it was something that both uh, that resonated with both of us. But the question was, well, how do we do that? What does that look like um, in our individual courses? So um, we each experimented with some ideas um, around joy and meaningfulness. Um, the course that that i um used as an incubator if you like uh, was a more traditional games course but along the lines of what phil was just um suggesting so it was focused on um target games net and war games how do we teach these key principles from the, the the games using a teaching games for understanding model um and what I ended up doing was most of the things that I did previously, but adding a different layer or adding another layer of emphasis to try to help pre-service teachers make pedagogical decisions that were focused on the quality of students' experiences. And what that meant was that I was taking on the task of teacher and trying to model that myself, but asking teachers to the pre-service teachers that I was working with to reflect, to critique, uh, to push me and those types of things. But it wasn't starting from scratch by any means. Um, So I wouldn't necessarily say it was a redesign, at least in my interpretation of the word, but it was adding a new layer. And by adding that new layer, it helped uh, shift priorities that that I had and we found that with a lot of the pre-service teachers or the students that we were working with that it resonated with them and the idea of transferring um, an understanding or an awareness of what made an experience meaningful for my students to then think about well what might make a movement experience meaningful for other students so we came to see how ideas like positive social interaction, could play out and um, facilitate meaningfulness, regardless of the content area, Um, depending on what drives you to participate in movement. Like, for me, it's social interaction. If I know that I can be with my friends, it doesn't really matter what I'm doing, but being with my friends will get me to that. Um, Another thing is, like, I'd rather be beating myself than beating someone else so a lot of individual games are good for me and help me see meaningfulness and that's I'll pursue those types of things so once we started to talk about that we could see how everyone experienced meaningfulness differently and it would help us make different decisions as we were teaching um, students and so Um, The content would be quite traditional, but as some teachers started to pick this up, um, we were able to see how they were taking it into other content areas. Like Andy Vasily used it in a cycling unit and we could see some of the transfer across um, those areas. But Steph was one of the first teachers who took the ideas from the PEAT course that I was teaching into her teaching with schools. So Steph, is that a good... Opportunity to hand off to you, and you might be able to talk about what made sense, what not, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera.
9: Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Tim, and thank you uh, for to everyone for hosting, for having us today. Always exciting to be able to talk a little bit about meaningful PE. Um, yeah, I really, I will say, I have far less experience with using ideas about meaningful PE in a PE-based context than Tim does. So. And most of what i know about that i learned from him um so kind of deferred to him on that but i was as tim said a pre-service teacher in one of his courses when he was first implementing these ideas and then went on to use it as a teacher in my classroom and then eventually in pete after i completed my phd and was teaching courses in physical education teacher education so I think the big thing, like Tim has given a good overview here of of how he sort of started to introduce those ideas. And I think um, probably for me, the primary thing that worked very well as a pre service teacher and what I learned most from was um, the way that Tim modeled the approach. So rather than just, you know, you can think about teaching sport education or a model or whatever as introducing theoretical content or teaching using it and actually showing how it's useful and i think both of those are important and i think the big thing for me was that modeling piece and that's a big part that for me in wanting to bring meaningful pe into the way i teach both as a, a physical education teacher and you know in physical education teacher education is that idea of modeling of saying okay you know the meaningful physical education approach calls for teachers to integrate democratic and reflective pedagogies and their approach with students in school. So for me, as a teacher educator, introducing that to to teachers, I need to do so in a way that integrates those same types of pedagogies and allows students, as Tim said, to experience, uh, sort of think about, reflect on what makes movement meaningful for them, have those types of experiences in PEAT, and then take a step back and say, What is or isn't making this experience meaningful? You know, like Tim said, reflecting on the ways that these these things can be different for different people. And I think um, a big part of of meaningfulness or what the, the literature says on meaningfulness is this idea of personal relevance. And so wanting to facilitate those types of experiences that are relevant. And so meaningful PE is maybe a little bit different than what we were talking about in terms of the outdoor education and that it's not so much about the content. But I think that if we're guiding our approach through this lens of what's meaningful for students, then, then ultimately are making it relevant, uh, it can influence the content. And so, you know, kind of this idea like Ingrid was talking about being in this beautiful facility that's surrounded by nature and I went to school at Brock, we have, you know, a similar sort of uh, situation there. In a context like that, it might be very relevant and very appropriate to bring students outside. Now I'm in Norway, there's a huge focus on that. We have a, a beautiful campus as well. Being outdoors is relevant to our students. It makes sense. Whereas if I'm teaching in a really urban area, then maybe it's more relevant to students to take them into urban areas and engage with more of those types of activities. So I think it's about uh, sort of modeling that for students and giving them that opportunity to ask questions about what's meaningful for me, what's relevant for me. And hopefully, ultimately, if they can have a meaningful, relevant experience, and a big takeaway can be, um, you know, the importance of facilitating those types of experiences for students in the future, even if it might look different to what it looked like for them in Pete. I don't know if that made sense, but that's what we're going yeah. with.
1: Stephanie, I'm wondering in that book, you, I think it was your chapter that you talked about the running example, about having students focus mm-hmm. on like you put the ball in their court to find the meaning in this running unit, which to a lot of students might be like, I I don't want, I don't want to do that. It's too hard. Can you kind of Explain how meaningful PE looks through that running unit.
9: Yeah, absolutely. So obviously that that wasn't in PEET, It was in um, sort of a mixed, oh, I'll say a middle school sort of physical education program. And basically uh, it was a situation where my, we were doing running in PE because it was, I was trying to get them ready. Those who wanted to participate for an upcoming cross country event I don't really like to do a lot of running in, in PE because I knew a lot of my students didn't like it but it was kind of one of those like okay we got to get this done and we had this moment where pretty much everybody in the class was quite upset and just went ahead and told me how much they hate running and they really don't want running in PE and this sucks and please don't ever do this again and which I had tried to really create an environment where they would feel comfortable telling me those things so you know it wasn't a problem in that sense but we I wanted to figure it out because some of these students were students of mine who had previously really enjoyed running or really enjoyed cross country and chose to participate in cross country year after year and now are telling me that they don't like running or this is not meaningful because I use that word with them all the time so for me it was Um, I kind of put it back to them and said, "Okay, if you don't like running anymore, but you did like running before, you're saying running is not meaningful to me today, but last year it was meaningful. Well, let's talk about that. Explain to me. And so we used some of the features of meaningful PE, social interaction, challenge, fun, personal relevance, all these things to talk about. Where the joy in running had gone for them, why was it joyful before, but it's not joyful now? And when we were able to kind of talk that through and then say, This is why it was or it wasn't meaningful for me, or why it's not anymore, then I sort of put it to them and said, You know, I- I'm not going to grade you on this, this is not homework or anything, but do you think you could take what we just talked about? and turn use those features to turn it around so that you could enjoy running again. If there was a problem with your social interactions, like I don't like running by myself, how can you have the social piece? If it's that this is too challenging, how can we adjust that so that you're finding that just right level of challenge? And we sort of went through, um, Just I just posed questions and then I walked away from it and I didn't really come back to it. But I had one student in that course who went home and sort of listed those features of meaningful PE and said, I used to like running. I don't like it anymore. Where did I lose it? How can I fix it? Started his own little at home running club with his dad and his dad would go out running with him. And he created this sort of skilled idea of how he was going to challenge himself in this run. And then he was going to build on that in the next run. And he did all these things. And the, the culmination for him was that He decided he was going to compete in cross country again that year even though he had said you know he didn't want to do it because he didn't find joy in running anymore so he he implemented this plan that he had created around the features of meaningful pe all the way up to cross country and then he his mom shared it with me i didn't really know that he was doing this at home but he went to cross country and he had a great time and then continued on with his running afterwards but it was something we were able to reflect back upon and see how something that had kind of lost the joy for him he was able to find it again through using those features.
1: Thanks Stephanie. I I feel like that example to me like stuck out from reading that book and so I'm I'm glad you were able to share that. Um, Chad I'm going to put you on pause for a second. Um, Let me get uh, Declan up um, because it's nearing 10 o'clock over there probably so um, if you want to share a little bit about what you all have been doing with uh, meaningful PE, love to hear. it.
10: Yeah, thanks, Risto. Thanks for the invite. Um, so very quickly, uh, I'll explain where it came from, really, in terms of ending up where we are currently. So uh, in the UK, we have a one year uh, teacher education qualification in PE. So we end up with approximately about 30 days uh, with our PE students, secondary, so high school for you guys. Um, So we don't teach sports. I'll I'll be up and open and honest with you. We don't have time to. So I I don't even go there. Um, But what I did inherit uh, eight years ago um, was basically a laundry list. And uh, I kind of just inherited because that's what was left before me. And I didn't like it. So I spoke to lots of people and and reflected and thought about things and just thought it wasn't really fit for purpose. And actually, all I was doing was simply perpetuating the same sports techniques kind of model. Uh, and preparing them yeah, adequately to go to school. But it wasn't really what I believed in, uh, and it wasn't really what I thought would uh, sustain our subject. So I've been thinking for quite some time about how to frame uh, teacher education for students and for myself and to be able to explain that and to model it to students. Uh, and that troubled me because all, all I really had and all other people had was a list uh, and they shared. Uh, you know, When I asked people, how, you know, what, what were you covering, what topics? It was always just simply a schedule. Uh, And that, for me, kind of didn't really speak much at all. So I had this idea of a puzzle, um, and I've been thinking about it for quite some time. And uh, uh, about four years ago, I kind of uh, started to work with a team uh, at the university I'm at now uh, and started to develop that idea of a puzzle for framing uh, what we're doing on our course. So that's kind of like another session, if you like, about what our puzzle is. But very quickly, we have a frame which kind of dictates what, what, our, what we believe education to be, what we believe teaching to be, what we believe learning to be, and what we believe uh, a child is. Um, so with that, we we've, we've frame things and that's helped to really coherently make us think in terms of our philosophy about what our purpose is for physical education. And then we have key pieces of the puzzle. So our puzzle pieces really dictate what we cover and that's really our curriculum that we share with our mentors in schools and with our student teachers. Now, I think it's fair to say that it's it's a model that we share and we're not saying that student teachers have to follow our same model. What we're trying to do is develop critical thinkers and, and we see teaching uh, really influenced by Kennestat being uh, really a continuous act of making judgments on, on not just the uh, why's, what's uh, and how's, but on the who's as well. That's really important for us. I've come from a uh, working in London, which is hugely diverse uh, and that has a huge impact on on what decisions you make is who's in front of you. Uh, We also draw and take influence from Mary Kennedy and and responding to persistent challenges. So we see the classroom as dynamic. So you're always making these decisions about the what's, why's, how's and who's. So with that, we kind of have our, like I say, our our puzzle. uh, And within that puzzle, uh, but essentially we've taken, uh, and it's developed over the last three years. and, And we had an opportunity a couple of years ago when myself and my colleague, Alex Becky, we're, we're on pretty similar, in fact, very similar wavelengths in terms of what we see uh, as, a, I guess, an influential way to change and make PE as better as possible and what our philosophies are. So we we took a meaningful PE approach. Uh, and so if you look at our puzzle, it would be completely influenced by that. So the pieces of our puzzle would be meaningful PE and using those filters of, of, you know, of the components of, uh, I guess, the, of meaningful PE. So that framework we use in terms of everything we do. So it permeates... Everything we talk about, we use that as a filter. So why have you made that decision? What you've made that decision in the class? How does that influence personal relevance? How does that influence challenge? So, you know, when we set scenarios uh, and we use a step tool to change uh, adaptive teaching. So again, within that, how does that change those features of, of meaningful PE? We do an action research project. They have to choose something in terms of meaningful PE about the uh, one of those uh, filters from the framework about how that's changed their classroom. So. Lots of things that we do will be influenced that. And again, if you saw our puzzle, you could see the features that come out. It's about re- reflective processes, about learning journey. It's about understanding your learners, democratic uh, practices, obviously meaningful peers in there, adaptive isn't in, in there. So you can see developing competencies in there. Uh, and we focus on uh, Mostyn's teaching spectrum because we think that's a, a good tool for them to be able to use that essentially. Um, Is really, uh, I guess, what Brendan Cisse would say is that all all kind of uh, models, uh, pedagogical models, are based on uh, an amalgamation of different styles. So that's kind of what we've done. Where where we're at, and uh, it's completely embedded into what we do. But like I say, we don't dictate. We just use that again as a model to show students how you can use your philosophy to make those continuous judgments in the classroom. And we ask them to develop their own puzzles. And they do that three times throughout the year. In fact, they just did it today, uh, their first one, uh, to make them think. Uh, And and last year was the first time we did that. And it was probably the most powerful moment I've had in my eight years of teacher education when we came to the end of the year and students were saying, actually, I didn't understand at all what you're on about in that first session. It didn't make sense to me. But at the end of the year, do you know it's the best thing I've ever done? And about five or so of them said, I'm gonna continue to use it because it's really helped clarify my position in uh, why I want to teach and, and the decisions that I'm making in my teaching. so that's where we've come from it's not perfect it, it won't suit everybody um but it's it's our philosophy and what we're trying to well I guess make changes from the traditional model of a I guess a laundry list of of things that you would cover and I'll keep quiet now
1: thanks Declan. um and Chad, you wanna you want to chime in?
11: yeah thanks and you did it I think you answered. My question, in terms of sort of using this idea of meaningfulness as a frame, um, one one of the questions is someone sort of new to this but really interested in it, you know, appreciative of it, is like where it sounds like it needs to be embedded, but but then sort of back planning. I see like meaningful physical education as a framework is fairly advanced approach. There's a lot of reflection points in terms of of you know so sort of how to promote social interaction, how to uh, Involve you know appropriate level of challenge. How to integrate motor learning? You know what what is fun? What is personal relevance? And a lot of that is sort of related to management. How how a teacher might manage? How a teacher sort of their disposition uh, and sort of all of these more common Pete ideas. And then within that, it's sort of how tasks are developed. So you know, being able to reflect on constraints and the impact of on students and how that might impact their meaningfulness, uh, and so maybe I'm thinking about this, too, you know, in too much of a linear fashion. But where do you where do you introduce this idea of meaningfulness when it's sort of maybe the ideal, uh, and and other sort of more common aspects of Pete are sort of foundational to being able to promote meaningfulness in your teaching. So. I guess that's my question is like where do you introduce this? I know it is integrated, but have you found that that works? Or is it something to sort of allow the foundation of teaching skills to build and then sort of show this frame through which they should be viewing all of their teaching that they've sort of developed so far?
1: Tim, do you wanna tackle that to start?
8: Uh, and no. I know it's, it's and good. I know it's
11: still early on in the in the process, so I don't mean to hit you with that, but lots to think about.
8: That's okay. It's okay. It's a fair question and um, I'm not sure if I'll have um, the right answer, but just some thoughts. Um, so we introduce it uh, to students in the first year of um, – we have two pathways. One's a four-year pathway and another's a six-year pathway. Um, and so we would introduce it to students in first year as um, – Uh, a priority or a vision about the purposes of physical education and sport. Uh, It gets reintroduced again in their second year um, and uh, then it becomes a little bit more concrete in terms of how we model that. Uh, And then in fourth year, again, it gets returned and uh, we really um, encourage students to create their own personal vision Uh, priorities of physical education just like Declan said we don't force people to uh, adopt meaningful PE as what they prioritize but if if that's what they choose to then you know what then might that look like Um, I think the way that I started with it at least was to um, make a lot of my thoughts explicit or to pause um, in the moment and to say to students well why would I have done that just then and not something else. So for example, I'll give a very quick one and then because I know this time's running away but we were doing a station activity and um, I'd said, okay, folks, now please move on to the next station. And two students were at a hula hooping station or it wasn't even a hula hooping station. It was something where they were throwing bean bags into hula hoops and they'd gotten hula hoops and were, you know, doing, doing their spins. And I just, I asked them first, I'm going to make a, I'm going to put you in focus here, you know, but just it's safe. Okay. And I said to the class, okay, these students were hula hooping after I had said, move on. Was that a good decision? Why, why, why not? What could I have done? What should I have done? Most of my PEAT students said, well, you should have maybe given them a timeout because they weren't following instructions. But I had said, well, I would probably have done nothing if that was a school because, if my priority is to focus on joy and meaningfulness, what they were doing was enacting that exactly. And for the sake of 30 seconds of making my life better or worse, is it really about me being a good manager or is this about having students find the joy in movement? And just like we could say, was that the best decision or the worst decision or whatever, but it caused students to pause And then to think, okay, so what I say and what I do can reflect this philosophy or this belief that I have. So when Steph said the modelling, one thing I say is that I don't want you to teach like me because I teach university students, but I want you to start thinking about the things that I do. And think to yourself like well what would i do then if i'm out in schools how would this be different if i was working with the kids in my placement school or in another one or in another one so a lot of those sort of stop and pause and explain um, and invite questions and feedback on that that was where i started and then it was just sort of layering that up and making it more consistent
1: thanks tim um so as we're nearing we have about 12 minutes left here. Um, I I love the practical examples. uh, So thank you. Thank you for sharing those. Um, I'm going to move it over to Jamie. Um, Christy, open invitation if you want to talk. I saw your hand go up, but then it went down. So if you want to chime in, you are more than welcome to. Um, But otherwise, um,
5: yeah. all I was going to say was kind of honor what you were saying, Chad, is I've been playing around with this for the last three years. And exactly what it sounds like you're struggling with Chad is what I I I struggled with at first is trying to figure out when are they ready for what and I definitely failed assuming that some of my younger students could process at the level that I was hoping they could but I feel like I'm at a place where I'm starting this year where I have this developmental progression in my head of how what I'm what I'm doing in my early classes and the middle level classes. And then I get to see, I get to see them so many times throughout our program. I'm very fortunate. But all I wanted to say, Chad, is I get what you're saying about when and what and to what level. And I'm still working on that. So
0: <laughs> thanks. Thanks, Christy, for sharing that perspective. Um, I'm going to kind of post some questions really to the whole um, collaborative here, but maybe um, Tim or Declan could kind of um, kick us off on one of the first questions and goes back to what I was mentioning in the beginning. Um, you know, in my own pedagogy, I've moved away from, you know, teaching the traditional sports um, so much and the rules and things like that um, in, a, in an effort to to move more towards this idea of meaningfulness, right. And making things meaningful and relevant um, for young people um, in my infancy, I think with a lot of the um, full concepts around meaningful PE, but what I'm then seeing is that when we don't do these things in the PE program um, and we focus on, you know, models or concepts of meaningfulness and things that there's a disconnect with What our cooperating or what our students are going out into the field and experiencing, particularly at the secondary school level. Um, And so I wonder, you know, how we kind of bridge that gap. um, If we are preparing students, and as I mentioned in the beginning, they don't know the lines of the volleyball court because we've grounded um, what we're doing in, in more of these approaches that we've been talking about today. How do we? And we have, you know, Stephanie, who is obviously doing this, or in, in K-12 schools. But the majority, I would say, of K-12 teachers, particularly at the secondary levels, are still teaching a lot of these traditional games and sports without this meaningfulness concept. So, is there a way for us in Pete to kind of bridge that divide? And how do we how do we approach that um, so that we can all kind of be on the same page with um, what should be happening in PEAT programs so I don't know if Tim or Declan has something really witty to say on that as other people kind of um, think of some questions or responses
10: well I can I can come back for a little bit Jamie for you if you like I I, I think you're dead right there's there's always a going to be a disconnect and that's the biggest challenge I think in in terms of teacher education and, and that's why I've kind of come to the place I'm out of the minute is that We need to model something that they can see and understand. Uh, Previously, I would used to do, you know, one week cooperative learning the next week, looking at Boston's teaching spectrum. The next week would be, you know, uh, sport education. You know, it was all a snapshot. So, you know, I've come to a place where less is more. If you do stuff in depth, there's more chance of them using it. If they understand stuff in good depth, then they, they might use it. They might not use it straight away, but then they might be in the back pocket for when they get a chance to kind of really Uh, have an opportunity to teach as they would like to teach. A lot of time, again, I'm speaking from an English perspective, is that things are restricted depending on which uh, school you're in. Uh, But, you know, eventually you'll get to a place, hopefully, uh, where you can have a choice. and, And hopefully, what we're trying to enable them to do is to be able to get to, to when they get to that place, is to be able to make justified decisions about what are they going to, how are they going to frame their teaching, how are they going to frame what they're, what they're trying to do in terms of their vision for PE uh, and, and when they make those decisions within those lessons that they've got a framework that they can use, but if they don't choose to use meaningful PE, well then they, they've got justifications and they can back up and argue why they're choosing something else.
0: Yeah, thank you for that. Um, while we open it up for others to chime in, I I really appreciate Ingrid's last comment in the chat about, you know, a lot of teachers not going through teacher prep programs, especially in PE, and actually tease us up nicely for um, the next PE collaborative session that I think Risto is going to introduce the topic on um, before we close. And so I'll throw it back over to you, Risto, seeing no other kind of hands up and, oh, Chad actually would like to comment.
11: Sorry. One of the things I've caught in my early stages of sort of thinking about, you know, the importance of introducing alternative activities and, and you know, really valuing meaningful physical education um, as a framework is not to minimize the fact that some people still find team sports meaningful. Like I've had to kind of check myself, you know, we're really interested in being critical and I think it's good and but there are still students and there's lots of people ourselves included even that do find meaning in team sports so I've had just for the good of the group I've had to check myself a lot just being sure that I'm not being overly critical of sort of those activities because they can be and they are meaningful to others so
8: just just thought. thanks Jen uh Tim comment and then Emily now, I think that's a really good point, Chad, and um, have to be very careful not to throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. Um, competition is another one that, that um, comes up a lot as well. Like um, a lot of students find competition very meaningful. However, what we've found with a lot of our students is that competition is really meaningful to them, but it's then expanding their perspective. To see what else is, but yes, um, going from one extreme to the other is um, something we all have to be careful of. I think it's a really important reminder. Thanks, Sam. Uh, Emily Jones.
12: Thanks. Hey, Jamie. Just a little bit to respond to your to your comment, and it's not a so it's not a quick solution. It's not an easy solution, but um, when we see the disconnect between what's going on in teacher education programs and schools. Um, I think it is it's imperative that we try to connect with our school professionals and our administrators and, and really um, sit down and try to communicate with one another about what it is the goals. Uh, what are the goals? Uh, how do we, what's happening in schools and how do we train future teachers to um, be ready for the workforce so that they can get out into schools and do the jobs that meet the needs of the students that exist. Um, now, I think we've run parallel paths for far too long. Doesn't mean that it's easy, doesn't mean that there's a playbook, um, but making sure that uh, as, as we've said today, not continuing to do what we've we've done, expecting different results. Um, and if in fact, we're seeing that um, perhaps what some of our teachers are getting trained to do and then go out to a workforce and not have the systems to implement the, um, those change, uh, then, then perhaps it's time for us to have some more intentional conversations and um, start speaking to each other a little bit more about how we reframe what it is we're doing across all of those levels. Definitely.
0: Thanks, yeah, thanks, Sam. Uh, Risto, do you wanna close us out here today? Sure.
1: Um, and thanks, Emily. This is exactly where we should be having those meaningful conversations and that's what the PEAK Collaborative is all about. Um, I'm going to put into the chat the topic for, for the next collaborative on October 13th, um, and we're going to talk about the role of PEAT and higher education and supporting in-service teachers, and especially those who are not trained to teach um, through traditional PEAT programs. And there, there is a wave coming, and it's already landed in some states. Um, Florida has changed a lot. Uh, of laws. Virginia, the governor just um, allowed for different avenues to become teachers. And so um, we, we're going to discuss next month about what our role is for uh, professional development in that piece. But um, I want to add this debrief really quick. And one of uh, our division director sent out an email um, that said that he is going to start scheduling blocks after meetings to be reflective about what happened in that meeting instead of how we typically do things is you have a 12 to one and a one to two and a two to three and then you don't actually have any time to go back and think about these and the questions that I'm going to leave you with that I hope you have time to at least jot down on a piece of paper and post it up next to your computer the next time you come back are what is one specific thing you can do to redesign your program? What's that one thing that you can start you know, chipping away at? And looking at your classes specifically, which classes are in need of a redesign in your program? Um, in the past, in the collaborative, we have um, a, a Google folder with elementary methods, course syllabi, secondary methods, syllabi. If there are people who want to do outdoor adventure education or something like that and redesign, there are people in this group that are willing to help sending their, um, you know, content, their links, the syllabi. So um, just make make an effort to think about what you can change in your program. And we really hope um, to see you uh, next month uh, and talk about what our role as PEAT educators are in and addressing the needs of what is about to come to a lot of different universities. So um, it's almost 5.15. We're gonna stop the recording now. There could be another 15 minutes or so if you wanna hang out and ask questions, but the official part of the PEAK Collaborative um, is done. Thank you so much for everybody that showed up and especially to the guests who, um, who shared a lot of their own work. Thanks.
0: Thanks everyone.